This is day 130 of our daily Bible reading. We will be completing Proverbs chapters 18 through 22. Our Heavenly Father, humble us today. We are so full of pride so often, such self-preservation, self-seeking, that we tend to edge you out. We tend to leave you out of these things in our lives that do not profit us. The things that are so empty in our existence, yet we seek these things to entertain us and to distract us from the reality of the world around us at times. And especially, Lord, as we are going into the holiday season, that we tend to let the busyness of this season get to us, to where we don't acknowledge you as Lord over these things. But Lord, this is the most important time of year to remember what you have come to do, your birth, Lord, the thing that has been prophesied for many, many generations. That happened 2,000 years ago. And today we are all the better for it because you have saved us. You have allowed us into your presence. Why can't we just simply know that and be better? Please challenge us today as we go through the word, Lord, and that we may gain wisdom and insight into these truths, that we may be improved and we may be steadfast in you. Please bless the reading of this word today. In Jesus' name, amen. He who separates himself seeks his own desire. He quarrels against all sound wisdom. A fool does not delight in understanding, but only in revealing his own mind. When a wicked man comes, contempt also comes, and with dishonor comes scorn. The words of a man's mouth are deep waters. The fountain of wisdom is a bubbling brook. To show partiality to the wicked is not good nor to thrust aside the righteous in judgment. A fool's lips brings strife, and his mouth calls for blows. A fool's mouth is his ruin, and his lips are the snare of his soul. The words of a whisperer are like dainty morsels, and they go down into the innermost parts of the body. He also, who is slack in his work, is brother to him who destroys. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous runs into it and is safe. A rich man's wealth is his strong city, and like a high wall in his own imagination. Before destruction, the heart of man is haughty, but humility goes before honor. He who gives an answer before he hears, it is folly and shame to him. The spirit of a man can endure his sickness, but as for a broken spirit, who can bear it? The mind of the prudent acquires knowledge, and the ear of the wise seeks knowledge. A man's gift makes room for him and brings him before great men. The first to plead his case seems right, until another comes and examines him. The cast lot puts an end to strife, 
and decides between the mighty ones. A brother offended is harder to be won than a strong city, and contentions are like the bars of a citadel. With the fruit of a man's mouth, his stomach will be satisfied. He will be satisfied with the product of his lips. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. The poor man utters supplications, but the rich man answers roughly. A man of too many friends comes to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Better is a poor man who walks in his integrity than he who is perverse in speech and is a fool. Also, it is not good for a person to be without knowledge, and he who hurries his footsteps errs. The foolishness of man ruins his way, and his heart rages against the Lord. Wealth adds many friends but a poor man is separated from his friend. A false witness will not go unpunished, and he who tells lies will not escape. Many will seek the favor of a generous man, and every man is a friend to him who gives gifts. All the brothers of a poor man hate him. How much more do his friends abandon him? He pursues them with words, but they are gone. He who gets wisdom loves his own soul. He who keeps understanding will find good. A false witness will not go unpunished, and he who tells lies will perish. Luxury is not fitting for a fool, much less for a slave to rule over princes. A man's discretion makes him slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook a transgression. The king's wrath is like the roaring of a lion, but his favor is like dew on the grass. A foolish son is destruction to his father, and the contentions of a wife are a constant dripping. House and wealth are an inheritance from fathers, but a prudent wife is from the Lord. Laziness casts into a deep sleep, and an idle man will suffer hunger. He who keeps the commandment keeps his soul, but he who is careless of conduct will die. One who is gracious to a poor man lends to the Lord and he will repay him for his good deed. Discipline your son while there is hope, and do not desire his death. A man of great anger will bear the penalty, for if you rescue him, you will only have to do it again. Listen to counsel and accept discipline, that you may be wise the rest of your days. Many plans are in a man's heart, but the counsel of the Lord will stand. 
What is desirable in a man is his kindness, and it is better to be a poor man than a liar. The fear of the Lord leads to life, so that one may sleep satisfied, untouched by evil. A sluggard buries his hand in the dish, but will not even bring it back to his mouth. Strike a scoffer, and the naive may become shrewd, but reprove one who has understanding, and he will gain knowledge. He who assaults his father and drives his mother away is a shameful and disgraceful son. Cease listening, my son, to discipline, and you will stray from the words of knowledge. A rascally witness makes a mockery of justice, and the mouth of the wicked spreads iniquity. Judgments are prepared for scoffers, and blows for the backs of fools. Wine is a mocker, strong drink a brawler, and whoever is intoxicated by it is not wise. The terror of a king is like the growling of a lion. He who provokes him to anger forfeits his own life. Keeping away from strife is an honor for a man, but any fool will quarrel. The slugger does not plow after the autumn, and so he begs during the harvest and has nothing. A plan in the heart of a man is like deep water, but a man of understanding draws it out. Many a man proclaims his own loyalty, but who can find a trustworthy man? A righteous man who walks in his integrity, how blessed are his sons after him. A king who sits on the throne of justice disperses all evil with his eyes. Who can say, I have cleansed my heart, I am pure from my sin? Differing weights and differing measures, both of them are abominable to the Lord. It is by his deeds that a lad distinguishes himself, if his conduct is pure and right. The hearing ear and the seeing eye, the Lord has made both of them. Do not love sleep, or you will become poor. Open your eyes, and you will be satisfied with food. Bad, bad, says the buyer, but when he goes his way, then he boasts. There is gold, and an abundance of jewels, but the lips of knowledge are a more precious thing. Take his garment when he becomes surety for a stranger and for foreigners hold him in pledge. Bread obtained by falsehood is sweet to a man, but afterward his mouth will be filled with gravel. Prepare plans by consultation, and make war by wise guidance. He who goes about as a slanderer reveals secrets. Therefore, do not associate with a gossip. 
He who curses his father or his mother, his lamp will go out in time of darkness. An inheritance gained hurriedly at the beginning will not be blessed in the end. Do not say, I will repay evil. Wait for the Lord, and he will save you. Differing weights are an abomination to the Lord, and a false scale is not good. Man's steps are ordained by the Lord. How then can man understand his way? It is a trap for a man to say rashly, It is holy, and after the vows, to make inquiry. A wise man winnows the wicked and drives the threshing wheel over them. The spirit of man is the lamp of the Lord, searching all the innermost parts of his being. Loyalty and truth preserve the king, and he upholds his throne by righteousness. The glory of young men is their strength, and the honor of old men is their gray hair. Stripes that wound scour away evil, and strokes reach the innermost parts. The king's heart is like channels of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he wishes. Every man's way is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the hearts. To do righteousness and justice is desired by the Lord more than sacrifice. Haughty eyes and a proud heart, the lamp of the wicked, is sin. The plans of the diligent lead surely to advantage, but everyone who is hasty comes surely to poverty. The acquisition of treasures by a lying tongue is a fleeting vapor the pursuit of death. The violence of the wicked will drag them away because they refuse to act with justice. The way of a guilty man is crooked, but as for the pure, his conduct is upright. It is better to live in a corner of a roof than in a house shared with a contentious woman. The soul of the wicked desires evil. His neighbor finds no favor in his eyes. When the scoffer is punished, the naive becomes wise. But when the wise is instructed, he receives knowledge. The righteous one considers the house of the wicked, turning the wicked to ruin. He who shuts his ear to the cry of the poor will also cry himself and not be answered. A gift in secret subdues anger, and a bribe in the bosom, strong wrath. The exercise of justice is joy for the righteous, but is terror to the workers of iniquity. A man who wanders from the way of understanding will rest in the assembly of the dead. He who loves pleasure will become a poor man, 
He who loves wine and oil will not become rich. The wicked is a ransom for the righteous, and the treacherous is in the place of the upright. It is better to live in a desert land than with a contentious and vexing woman. There is precious treasure and oil in the dwelling of the wise, but a foolish man swallows it up. He who pursues righteousness and loyalty finds life, righteousness, and honor. A wise man scales the city of the mighty and brings down the stronghold in which they trust. He who guards his mouth and his tongue guards his soul from troubles. Proud, haughty, scoffer are his names, who acts with insolent pride. The desire of the sluggard puts him to death, for his hands refuse to work. All day long he is craving, while the righteous gives and does not hold back. The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination. How much more when he brings it with evil intent? A false witness will perish, but the man who listens to the truth will speak forever. A wicked man displays a bold face, but as for the upright, he makes his way sure. There is no wisdom and no understanding and no counsel against the Lord. The horse is prepared for the day of battle, but victory belongs to the Lord. A good name is to be more desired than great wealth. Favor is better than silver and gold. The rich and the poor have a common bond. The Lord is the maker of them all. The prudent sees evil and hides himself, but the naive go on and are punished for it. The reward of humility and the fear of the Lord are riches, honor, and life. Thorns and snares are in the way of the perverse. He who guards himself will be far from them. Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. The rich rules over the poor and the borrower becomes the lender's slave. He who sows iniquity will reap vanity, and the rod of his fury will perish. He who is generous will be blessed, for he gives some of his food to the poor. Drive out the scoffer, and contention will go out. Even strife and dishonor will cease. He who loves purity of heart and whose speech is gracious, the king is his friend. The eyes of the Lord preserve knowledge, but he overthrows the words of a treacherous man. The sluggard says, There is a lion outside. I will be killed in the streets. 
The mouth of an adulteress is a deep pit. He who is cursed of the Lord will fall into it. Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. The rod of discipline will remove it far from him. He who oppresses the poor to make more for himself, or who gives to the rich, will only come to poverty. Incline your ear and hear the word of the wise, and apply your mind to my knowledge. For it will be pleasant if you keep them within you, that they may be ready on your lips, so that your trust may be in the Lord. I have taught you today, even you. Have I not written to you excellent things of counsels and knowledge, to make you know the certainty of the words of truth, that you may correctly answer them who sent you? Do not rob the poor because he is poor, or crush the afflicted at the gate. For the Lord will plead their case and take the life of those who rob them. Do not associate with a man given to anger, or go with a hot-tempered man, or you will learn his ways and find a snare for yourself. Do not be among those who give pledges, among those who become guarantors for debts. If you have nothing with which to pay, why should he take your bed from under you? Do not move the ancient boundary which your fathers have set. Do you see a man skilled in his work? He will stand before kings. He will not stand before obscure men. Okay, so very good reading again today. Let's go through a few that stand out and we'll continue from there. Beginning in chapter 18, Verse 8. The words of a whisperer are like dainty morsels, aren't they? The ones who have secrets, the ones who reveal secrets, the gossips, the ones that always have the juicy information. They taste like dainty morsels. They taste like candy. And they go down into the innermost parts of the body. What does that mean? The problem with gossiping is that it is enjoyable to some degree. And the problem is, as well, is that the more you participate in it, the more you become one yourself. And so it penetrates more than just your stomach, as if you were to treat it like a morsel. It doesn't just get digested and you're done. It starts to affect your very person. And then you become either dependent on that sort of attitude, or you start to enjoy it. And neither of those things are good. Sure, it's good to be informed, but at the same time, there's a matter of integrity involved here that if the person is not there to defend themselves, or there are unbased comments, then all you're doing is perverting things and you're slandering somebody without their knowledge. Talking behind people's backs should not be something that we do as Christians. That is something that will get you in some serious trouble within your church, as well as start damaging relationships. Because it calls us to lift each other up, to exalt each other. I mean, if sure, if we have done something wrong, 
we should definitely address that. But other than that, we should just be kind to each other. We should be lifting each other up in encouragement, but also talking well about people. Do we do that? Verse 17. The first to plead his case seems right until another comes and examines him. There are many times where we are not aware of our current position. And what I mean by that is we may think we're right about something, but we may not be. And it always takes another person to point that out to us. Even in a spiritual sense where if we're doing something wrong and somebody knows, then that person's obligated to tell you you're sinning and you need to repent. And we say, well, no, I'm not. But then whenever you explain it and you see the kind logic behind it, oh, you know what? You're absolutely right. I did not realize I was so offensive to somebody. I didn't think that comment meant anything. I didn't think it was going to hurt anybody's feelings, but it did. Oh, man, I'm, thank you for pointing that out. I really appreciate that. See, that kind of stuff really helps. Now, if we choose to refuse that and reject that information, well, there's a different problem there. Verse 19, and this is kind of like what we were talking about here. A brother offended is harder to be won than a strong city. Somebody that trusted you and you offended them, it's going to be hard to get that trust back. There's always going to be that seed of doubt in there or that hesitation to want to give them all of themselves to you because of that, whatever issue happened in the past. So certainly we need to be straightforward with each other, but also the Bible never talks about tough love, except for when addressing sin. Other than the sin, we don't deal with each other with tough love. That just isn't what the Bible talks about. So there shouldn't be any firmness in us unless it's something that heavily convicts us and is correct. Otherwise, we should not be offensive to each other. Now, this doesn't say that you addressing sin isn't offensive. It will be offensive to them because you're addressing out a flaw or an issue in someone's life. And they may resist it. They may not like it. Shining light on sin is uncomfortable and makes one feel ashamed. And that, but that's necessary for the healing to begin. But that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about just not saying something in a way that will offend someone or doing something that will offend them, but just treating each other with kindness. And the hope is we would be like we are in verse 24. A man of too many friends comes to ruin. They're not really your friends, if you know what I mean. They're more acquaintances. You just like to have a lot of people around you. But there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. A genuine friend will stick with you through the thick and the thin, won't they? Some more than your own siblings. And that's really what God has called us to be for each other in the church. To stick together and be closer than brothers and sisters. Moving on to chapter 19. 
verse 14, House and wealth are an inheritance from fathers, but a prudent wife is from the Lord. And if you noticed as well, there were several verses today about how a wife is either a benefit to the husband or is a curse to the husband, depending on how she acts. So we see here that a prudent wife is someone who is going to be a boon or a benefit to her husband. And that is a gift from God. A good wife is a gift from God. Now certainly that's why we don't rush into relationships. We don't look at women strictly for their appearance because beauty is only skin deep, they say. But really when you look at someone that you're interested in marrying, you want to look at several different things. First of all, there's no coincidence that the Bible tells us to not be unequally yoked, meaning that we're not supposed to marry non-believers if we are Christians ourselves. For the very reason that their morality is not going to be the same as you. A non-Christian does not love God like you do. And so that will be hard. It will make your life very difficult. But whenever you are looking for someone to marry, it should be somebody that loves God. That is the number one aspect of who they are that should be on your agenda, if you want to call it an agenda, or your checklist. All the check boxes that you're looking for in a, in a, in a woman or a man one of the most important thing is how much they love the Lord. Everything else would be secondary to that. Then their appearance, sure, you know, how they speak to people, how they treat their family, how much respect they have. You know, all those different things are very valuable as well, but you have to marry somebody who loves God. And if they don't, then your life will be much more difficult. But like it says here, house and wealth are an inheritance from fathers. You can get money from your parents. You can inherit a house. You can inherit not just a house in terms of a physical house, but what it's talking about is family respect or you know, the well -known, being a well-known family name, right? But we also saw other verses about the opposite of being a prudent wife, which would be a contentious wife, one that likes to argue, one that holds grudges, one that complains. All those things are not fitting for a wife because all they will do is just cause the whole house to be in disarray. It's like the old saying says, you know, if the wife isn't happy, there ain't nobody happy. <laughs> <laughs> and it's true. And it's because she is the lifeblood of the house. And if she's not doing well, then nobody's going to do well. So that's why the wife is such an important key component of the house. And the husband is supposed to be that balancing factor. That, that one that counteracts that behavior and keeps the leadership of the home solid. That's why there's no surprise in today's world, especially in America, there's so many families where they're raised by only one parent. 
and there's something missing when they become an adult. That doesn't mean they can't be a successful adult or they can't find the Lord or anything like that, but their chances of being a successful adult are much slimmer because they were not raised with a firm foundation. They may not have been raised in a godly home. They had no idea how, if a boy was raised by his mother, but there was never a father figure in the house, how was a man supposed to be a man? How was a man supposed to learn how to treat a woman? How was a man supposed to know what masculinity really is? And so you see all the perversions that have come from that. People easily divorcing or having children out of wedlock and abandoning their families for their selfish gain. You know, you see all that and the consequences of it. That's what happens when you don't follow the wisdom of the Lord, like we see here. So in verse 22 is an example of what I mean. What is desirable in a man is his kindness. It is better to be a poor man than a liar. So you want to be someone, if you want to be a, a proper man, you want to be somebody who is kind, and you want to be somebody who has integrity. Those are much more important than big muscles, than having an inflated ego, an air of arrogance, being able to work with your hands. A man with a tender heart is not common these days. And many times the world will try to tell you that tender-hearted or kind men are just weak men. But no, I, I beg to differ. I think that a, and that's kind of what the Bible points to as well, is that the true powerful men in the world are the ones who have self-control. They're the ones that have the power, but they don't need to use it because they are using their power wisely. It's like with, for example, martial arts, right? Some people do karate, taekwondo, jujitsu, whatever you like. And what do they teach you in martial arts? They teach you not to use it unless you really have to. It is for self-defense, right? And the ultimate goal is you know how to use it, but you don't necessarily need people around you to know that. Because when it comes to when you're being confronted and you need to defend yourself, then you can rely on your training and your experience. But otherwise, you don't need to use it. It is to better yourself, sure, but ultimately it is not to threaten people with, it's not to pick fights with, right? There's an air of wisdom in martial arts, in the way to where you only use it when you absolutely need to. And the rest of the time, people may think you're weak and stuff, until they actually pick a fight with you, and then they end up on the floor. The true man has the power and the authority, and they know it, but they choose not to use it, because it profits them nothing by conflicting with God's word. Verse 23, the fear of the Lord, we're back to the fear of the Lord again, another aspect of it, it leads to life. 
And what else? So that one may sleep satisfied, untouched by evil. You can have confidence in knowing that you've done right by the Lord's standards. And that also plays into what we'll see in Ecclesiastes as well, is the fruit of your labors, right? If you work honestly with your hands and you do what is right and everything you do is for the glory of God, you're going to sleep very good at night. For one, you'll be tired. But secondly is you will be at peace because God will bless your sleep. You tend to not sleep well at night if you have done something you regret or you have made poor decisions throughout your day or there's things that are troubling you and you're not giving it to God. But if you are doing what is right and you are working with your full effort and honestly, you will sleep very good at night. Chapter 20, verse 1, wine is a mocker. Strong drink a brawler, and whoever is intoxicated by it is not wise. There should be no surprise, then, that when it talks about the office of a deacon or an office of an elder, overseer, pastor, all those different roles that are in the New Testament, it mentions that they are not given by strong drink, or they're not given into wine. Alcohol is not banned, let's be clear. It is not a sin to drink alcohol. I mean, you see people all in the Bible who drank alcohol. But if you take it too far, and you have that tendency to take it too far, then there's the problem. For me, I was an alcoholic in my younger days. And I cannot associate with alcohol at all. So I'm one of those people that it is better not to drink. Not everybody has that problem, but personally, I think alcohol doesn't do anything good for you. It may relax you a little bit, and but really, I just see it as another outlet of trying to run away from your problems, or instead of confronting what gives you anxiety, you try to hide it and mask it with a, and using alcohol as a band-aid. But that's just me. You are not wise if you give in to alcohol because it doesn't profit anything good from from doing it. Verse 7, a righteous man who walks in his integrity, how blessed are his sons after him. Fathers, mothers, do you need some extra incentive to do what is right? That sounds ridiculous for me to say, right? But let's be honest, sometimes when it's just about ourselves, eh, you know, eh, I'm okay, you know, I have tendencies to be an underachiever sometimes. But when it comes to what motivates me, one of the things that motivates me is making sure that my family is always taken care of and setting a good example for my kids. And so when it comes down to this, this is another layer of motivation and incentive for me to do what is right. So you're saying that if I were to act with integrity and be righteous in the sight of God, that he would bless my kids? You bet I'm going to try harder. I'll do anything for my kids. So we need to think like that because 
There are also other things that we're called to do for our children, like we read today, such as the rod of discipline, like we'll read in chapter 21. Verse 19, he who goes about as a slanderer reveals secrets. Therefore, do not associate with a gossip. There it is again. The Bible repeats itself intentionally. There's really not much more to explain on here. This one is very thorough in its explanation. Verse 22, do not say, I will repay evil. Wait for the Lord and he will save you. I've tried this one and was very successful in it. Because I manage a group of people in the business world, and there are many times where I know they're doing things intentionally against me and against the company. You know, stealing time, milking the clock, not doing their work with full effort, wasting time, blah, blah, blah. And there's many times I've been wanting to pull the trigger on that. Just start issuing the discipline and you know, going about it like that and just nonstop holding them accountable and that just will lead to more problems. And so many times I'm like, well, am I being too soft? So let me try something. Let me not repay evil. Let me let see what God will do. And sure enough, it took longer than I expected because God works on his own timetable, but he did do it. I waited for the Lord, and he did take action against these people. And it was against those very people who put themselves in traps, like we've been reading throughout the Psalms and Proverbs. The wicked will lay traps, and they'll try to manipulate things to their favor, but God puts them in their own traps, and I love how he does that. So definitely, we do not need to repay evil. Do not take vengeance. What does he say in the law? Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Man's steps, verse 24, are ordained by the Lord. How then can man understand his way? God's sovereignty is here again, and it's over all of our ways, and it's beyond any of our comprehension. Everything that happens to us has been ordained by the Lord, good and bad. That's wild to think about. It's mind-blowing. That makes us wonder, do we really have free will? We do. It's just not exactly what you think. Because we tend to think of free will as being, we are autonomous. We are independent of God, but we're not. We are completely dependent on Him. Here's a big one. Chapter 21, verse 3. To do righteousness and justice is desired by the Lord more than sacrifice. This plays into the Old Testament theme of the sacrificial system. Yeah, where instead of just empty ritualistic sacrifice, he wants for us to portray godly attributes in our lives and in the condition of our heart. Yes, but it goes way beyond that. And so often we'll say, well, I'm going to fast, and I'm going to pray, and I'm going to deprive myself of certain things in order for some prayer of mine to be answered. But really at the heart of it is, are we doing the right things the rest of the time? Are we acting righteously day to day? 
are we pursuing justice at work and at home and at church? When we're not on our knees with the Lord, if we ever are, which is a different problem, then those things matter more to God than just the, I'm going to take 24 hours to fast. Because God never tells us to fast. Having a healthy relationship with God and knowing how the power of prayer works will lead you to fast. But it should not be, if I fast, God will do something. That's, that's manipulating God, and that's putting him to the test. You shouldn't do that. Check the condition of your heart first. If there's something missing or something that needs to be corrected, go there first. And add God to your daily routine, everything you do. And that will change a lot. And then you can move on to bigger and better things. Verse 23. He who guards his mouth and his tongue guards his soul from troubles. Don't be careless or impulsive with your mouth. Think before you speak. Chapter 22. The reward of humility and the fear of the Lord are riches, honor, and life. He will take care of you more than you even think he will. And this one is one that is a pillar in my life. I don't always do it perfectly, but it is a serious value to me. Train up a child in the way he should go. Verse 6. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. My parents weren't perfect. They'd, but they did a lot of things well. And the things they did well was keep me in a church environment. In a Christian home. And so, I did not depart from it. There are many things that I remember from my youth that they did that stick with me today. And I think that made me all the better. And so that's one thing that I want to teach my children is not just necessarily keep them in a church environment. Because that's almost like saying, I'm going to take my kids to school so they can teach them. We tend to get that sometimes, where we take our kids to church so they can teach them the Bible. That's not their job. That's our job. We are supposed to teach our kids the Bible. But not just teaching them the Bible, as in reading them the Bible, which is important to do, but they need to learn how to read it themselves. They need to learn how to pray themselves. They need to learn how to meditate on the Word of God themselves. They have to be made to memorize Scripture for themselves. It goes beyond just dropping your kids off at, at school or at church and expecting somebody else to do the education for you. As the parent, that's your responsibility. Can it be a supplement to what you're doing? Yes, and it should be. It's, it doesn't say drop off your kids at church in the way he should go. That's not what it says, right? It says you. It's talking to you. You train up a child in the way he should go. And then when he is old, he will not depart from it. That is a personal responsibility as a parent. Because here is the other reality of children. They are born into a sinful nature. They are born with bad behaviors that you did not teach them. 
that it comes naturally to them. It is an innate problem. The foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. The rod of discipline will remove it far from him. Verse 15. The rod of discipline, again, is to try to literally beat out the problems in them. That's why so often when it talks about how God refines us. So it's like we are precious metal in God's sight, and he melts us down. And when he melts us down, he starts scraping off the dross from us. It's that black impurities that float up to the top. And the smithy or whoever it is that does the uh, smelting of the metal scrapes off that impurity and, and, and smacks it out of there so that it doesn't associate any longer with the gold or the silver or whatever. Same thing it is with us as well, is we're supposed to be melting our kids down to uh, the base elements, meaning that when they are acting in, inappropriately or they are acting incorrectly, then we are to correct them in a spirit of love, yet firmness. Because again, and this is the mistake I think a lot of parents make, is you are not your kid's friend. That is not your role in their life. Can you be friends with them? Yes, as adults, you can be friends with them. But when they are living in your house, you are their parent. You are not their friend. You are to discipline them and do what is right to make them successful adults and successful Christians. So we tend to blur that line sometimes, because when you start moving to the area of friendship with your kids, then the level of respect goes down. Same thing with if you're a boss in a business. If you start being friends with your employees, then they start not respecting you as much. There's something about that. So we need to, as parents, make sure that we are not putting ourselves in a situation where they will not respect your authority. <laughs> you need to make them respect your authority through the rod of discipline. Again, like it says elsewhere, we haven't gotten there yet, but the rod of discipline is good because it won't kill them. But what doesn't kill them will make them stronger. And that saying goes, rings true in this case. And I thought also chapter 22 at the end here was a very good section about various practices that we should not be doing ourselves, but it flows very well, unlike the rest of the Proverbs where it's just one verse, one thought, but it's more of a comprehensive understanding of different areas. For example, verse 24, Do not associate with a man given to anger, or go with a hot-tempered man, or you will learn his ways and find a snare for yourself. Again, what company you keep changes you. So be careful who you make friends with, and it says keep away from people with bad tempers. And that is all that I have for today. Thank you for listening. I'm Ryan, and we'll see you next time. Take care, and God bless you.